when you're exhausted and overwhelmed and feeling like nobody has seen your own personal child, it becomes very difficult to have anything left to give to the people who the institutions that are supposed to be serving them. But what becomes so critically in this moment is understanding that that is where our power lies. Welcome to Tilled Parenting, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reber. I am so excited to introduce you to my guest for this episode, Dr. Jody Carrington, a clinical psychologist, speaker, and author based in Alberta, Canada. Jody has spent most of her career working with children and families who have experienced trauma and has learned that kids can only be as okay as the adults in their lives are okay. The result of Jody's insights is her wonderful book, Kids These Days, a game plan for reconnecting with those we teach, lead, and love. I recently came across her book, and not only did I absolutely love how accessible and real it is, I knew I needed to introduce her to the Tilt community. As you'll hear, Jody has one of those joyfully infectious personalities, but even more than that, she offers powerfully grounded insights and strategies for parents, caregivers, and teachers to connect with and show up for our kids and each other. It's nearly impossible to not be inspired by Jody's hopeful, humorous, and humanizing approach. I hope you get as much out of this conversation as I did. And now here is my conversation with Jody. Hello, Jody. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Debbie. Thank you so much for having me. I am really looking forward to this conversation. I was just mentioning before I hit record that I, I don't even know how your book got on my radar, but I instantly connected with the title. It's called Kids These Days, A Game Plan for Reconnecting with Those We Teach, Lead, and Love. And then I devoured it and really just enjoyed it. So I can't wait to talk more about that. And before we get into the heart of our conversation, can you just introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about your story and why you do the work you do. Yeah, I'd love to. Okay, I'm, I'm coming to you um, from a small town in Alberta, Canada. And I grew up in a small town. Um, and it was actually a teacher that changed my life. There was, uh, it's still to this day, a K to 12 school. And um, <laughs> I can tell you the first and last name of every teacher I ever had. I knew where they lived. I knew, you know, all the things that they were doing. And um, there was probably 22 of us that started kindergarten together and the same 19 of us that graduated together. Okay. So everybody mm-hmm. knew everything about everybody. And I often tell the story because I remember where Mrs. Holly Nordstrom was standing uh, the day that the most popular kid in our class was killed. I remember what she was wearing. I remember what she said. I have no idea, you know, what the details were, but I remember how she made us feel. And I remember thinking as a 16 year old kid in that moment, that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. I want to make people feel the way Mrs. Nordstrom made us feel. And it's, it's funny because I spend a lot of my time now talking to educators, talking to people who influence little people. And it all comes back to this. I do not remember a single thing about the literacy and the numeracy that woman taught me. I do not remember a specific lesson but I remember what she wore. I remember how she smelled. I mean, that sounds a little creepy, but it's true. I wore wild musk from the IDA um, pharmacy until I was 23 because I just wanted to be like her. And so, uh, and I decided I want to be a, a psychologist. So I told my dad that and he was so freaking excited that I would get out of small town Alberta that he was like, okay, I'll pay for it. 
And so he didn't know it was going to take me 13 years to get a PhD. <laughs> anyway, so uh, I went on and I did um, an externship during my undergrad degree with our national police force called the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. And I started to get really entrenched in this idea of trauma and what happens when hard things happen to kids, to families. How do we support them? How does it really mess them up? And I decided I wanted to be a police psychologist. And that's what I did most of my master's and my PhD research on. And then I did my uh, externship in um, actually in eastern Canada, in Nova Scotia, just above you. And, and I had to do a rotation with kids. And they said, you know, you, we really think you need to do this rotation. And I was like, listen, I don't like kids. I'm not a fan of children. Uh, I just like the big people. I'm better with big people. And they're like, no, you're like a kid. We think you'd be a good fit. And I was like, damn it. So they were right. And I fell in love with these little muffin tops. And I realized that we knew even less about kids and trauma than we knew about adults and trauma. So I, I came back to Alberta, took my first job on a locked psychiatric inpatient unit for kids um, here at the Center of Excellence in Alberta called the Alberta Children's Hospital. And I learned more about kids and families and relationships than I ever learned in grad school. And I started to understand that the heart of everything we do, if we want to change this planet, comes down to reconnection. And connection's easy. Reconnection is hard. And so uh, I learned and soaked it up. Um, and then I found, uh, I landed a husband, took me a while, but I landed one. He's a nice guy. He's a farmer, which is fine. And uh, he's got a PhD in how to feed cows. Uh, it's a thing. And uh, he's amazing. Then he says, you know, we should get kids. So we get one. And I realize I have never been more incompetent in anything in my life. So I got picture this. I mean, we got six degrees between us. Uh, one of them, I'm a child psychologist at this point. They put my own personal child in my arms. And I was like, I no, 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 not ready. Not ready. And they're like, no, you could take him home. I was like, can I? And as we shared this before we went on air, his name is Asher, which means like happy and everything's so friggin' great. Uh, the first 48 hours we had that tiny human home, I was, uh, I mean, in tears 87 times. I mean, he's supposed to be on a schedule because that's what child psychologists tell you to do. And child was not on any friggin' schedule. And it was three o'clock in the morning. I'm bouncing on one of those balls that you're supposed to do your abs on, you know, like those big exercise balls trying to keep the kid alive. My husband's in the room. I realized what the problem was. I told him we're not doing skin to skin because that's what all the books say. So I'm yelling at my husband, like, take your shirt off. <laughs> so we're both naked, milk shooting everywhere. I'm crying. Aaron's crying. That's my husband. And he looks at me and he says, I'll never forget this. He said, to me, I don't, I don't know how dumb people do this. <laughs> I'm like, I know. Fine. So, I mean, there we are, we planned, we had all the prenatal prep, we did all the birth planning. We, you know, said to our parents, stay away. We've got this. We didn't. And then shortly after Asher wasn't even two, we're pregnant again and it's twins, which sweet mother, <laughs> three kids under two. And I was having a near psychotic break. And my husband says to me, you know, what? I know what'll help you. Let's move closer to my mother. So, uh, we end up in old Alberta, Canada, which is a small town where we live. And, um, I started to consult with school divisions on the hard kids, the ones that really people started to marginalize in their classrooms, the kickers, the hitters, the biters, the ones that couldn't focus. And those are my babies. I love those kids. And I love that typically what happens is we just need to know their story. And so I started to tell their stories and meet with school divisions. And then they said, you know what, could you speak about it to our principals and our vice principals and to our community groups? And I said, absolutely. So that's just kind of blown up in the last three years. And um, they said, you know, would you write a book about it? And I did. It's called Kids These Days, as you talked about. And um, 
gosh, it sold over 150,000 copies in, you know, the first two years that it's been out and it's blown us away. And uh, we've now got a second book and an event series and uh, COVID has been so kind to us because uh, it's created so much space for connection in our own team and our family. And um, yeah, so here we are. Hmm. And now I find you in New York. <laughs> what a great story. And so much of what you shared resonates. And I love I love that you love these kids. I mean, that's the way there's nobody else I'd rather hang out with, right? Differently wired kids, I find to be the most fascinating humans on the planet. Yeah, I, I so agree. And listen, I, I mean, I often say this, right? Like I've assessed and treated over a thousand kids in this country and I have never, not one time met a bad kid, not mm. one time. Hmm. And oftentimes, like when I walked into a school division or, you know, when somebody wants to do a consult, a parent or a, a system, you know, says to me, like I've worked in, in lots of consultations with foster parents who I think are angels on earth. And uh, I often walk into a group of people who are just exacerbated by a kid's behavioral presentation. Right. And so when I look at a file on this kid, right, it's usually the size of the St. James. And um, I don't even have to look in there because I know what will be in there. There's multiple psychoeducational assessments. There's OT, PT, LMNOP, SL piece, um, lots of behavioral support plans. But what I'm most interested in when I look at the table of these people who are so invested in this baby, here's what I want to know. Who can tell me his middle name? Who can tell me what level he's on in Fortnite? <laughs> who can tell me the last time he saw his mama? How many siblings he got? Where's his dad? Where's his cook -em? Tell me everything you know about the, and who knows the color of his eyes? And when I got a group of people invested in a kid who could start to answer those questions, that file, that ed file, that cum file, whatever it's called starts is decreasing, mm -hmm. right? Because that's what we're trying to fix is re we're, we're trying to connect yeah. because when you are acknowledged, when you are seen, you will rise. Yeah. And you write about this so nicely in your book, this idea that we are all wired for connection. It's something we've talked a lot about in the podcast with regards to our relationship as parents and our kids and your message is for educators. And I'm, and it's so important, right? That they have these meaningful connections with a variety of adults in their lives. I'm wondering what has, I mean, obviously the book is sold tremendously. Talk about the response among educators and teachers when they hear your message, maybe for the first time. You know, what I really love about it is that they are not unlike our babies, right? They are not on like when you come, like perception is a function of experience, right? So when I'm talking to a group of parents who are just struggling to get the voices of their children heard, to be, have anybody who just can sink into their kids. I mean, if you think about this over Asher's, um, you know, career, and I, we talked about this too, my, my son suffers significantly from anxiety and the teachers that, or counselors or any, you know, any educator that had him that would call me and say, Hey, John, I just want to tell you, uh, Asher's amazing. Or uh, my Olivia, who is our youngest, um, we have boy-girl twins, and she's a spit, like, seriously Lord. I asked Jesus specifically for a girl, and you know what he said to me? Buckle up. <laughs> because I've never met a tiny human who is more full of fire than that little one. And so when somebody calls me and says about her or finds me on the street and says, like, oh, Olivia is amazing. Do you know what I want to do? Do you know what I want to do, Debbie? I want to make out with them. <laughs> Because in that moment, there is nothing greater. I'm like, what? Oh, yeah, because we all just want to be acknowledged. And so this is my take with educators is when we step in telling them what we need to do and, and what they need to do and why they need to understand uh, the presentation of our children, um, you're lost out of the gate. 
our biggest job, Gordon Neufeld is a psychologist who says this so eloquently. He said, you have to collect before you direct. And when you're exhausted and overwhelmed and feeling like nobody has seen your own personal child, it becomes very difficult to have anything left to give to the people who the institutions that are supposed to be serving them. But what becomes so critically in this moment is understanding that that is where our power lies, is when you can acknowledge the people who spend more hours a day with our children than we do sometimes. They are our most important and biggest investment. And when I speak about, you know, to, to systems, you know, when I th- to foster care or to education, I often talk about administration to administrators about your biggest investment is in your people, not in the kids you serve. Your biggest investment is in your people, not in the kids you serve, because the kids will be okay if us big people are okay. Mm -hmm. The kids are not the problem. And as a child psychologist, I say this all the time. If you, um, I have parents call me that say, oh my God, I'm so worried about my kid. He's a hitter. He's a kicker. He's a biter. You know, he's got, he can't concentrate. He's got like ticks or like whatever the deal is. They'd be like, can you see my kid? I'm really worried. Like he is just not going to be able to ever leave home. He's like not functioning well. I think he's a psychopathic serial killer. Like, I, I mean, I've heard it all. I often say, I'd love to see your baby and I'd also love to see you. And they say, what, what, why, why me? It's the, it's my kid. That's the problem. Like, don't, do you think I'm the problem? And I always say, um, you're not the problem. I love you're the solution. Because even if I give your kid a beautiful assessment and gold standard treatment where they, you haul them into my office one hour a week, it is a waste of time to do in isolation. If I don't include the system, because the system is what is responsible for walking this kid home. And, it's often, I mean, I, I keep this quote over my shoulder in my office, um, but it's a quote by a guy named Ram Das. So he's dead. He's a philosopher, a yogi, and mo- or like most people, we figure out all of the stuff in this world and then we die. But lucky for us, this fellow wrote a few things down. And he said this, we are all just here walking each other home. We are all just here walking each other home. And when we have been blessed to either serve, parent, walk home, um, aid neurotypical kids or anybody with a mental health issue or who've been marginalized. Mm -mm -mm. We are all just here walking each other home. And when we have that gift, that capacity to serve other humans, whether it's the teachers that are holding our babies every day or our kids in any capacity, that's where passion lives. See, you understand that your purpose is to walk your community home, not just, you know, your baby or my baby, but you know, that's really the purpose of this podcast, Debbie, which I think is so amazing about it, right? Is like, how do we gather as a community and remind each other? We're just walking each other home. I got you. I got you, mama. I got you, teacher. This is our biggest job, right? And some days we'll be the walkie. Some days we'll be the walker. We'll be right back after this quick break. This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body, and so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Symbiotic Plus provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining to support a healthy gut barrier. And it comes in this very cool minty delayed release capsule, which was specifically designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon. The bonus is that the capsules don't need to be refrigerated, so I can easily bring them with me in my carry-on. On a personal level, I love that Ritual is committed to sustainability. 
They're a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long-term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people in our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. I just really appreciate this perspective. Clearly, you hear this from parents you hear from, and I hear it. There's sometimes this adversarial dynamic that's kind of set up um, because if we our kids have been in classrooms where they haven't been respected or they've been shamed or they have really struggled, that can be traumatizing for the whole family. And we also know the, you know, I think it's heroic work, especially now during COVID that teachers are really doing, and they are so critical to our child's success. So I'm just wondering, what specific thoughts or advice do you have for parents in bridging that gap and in, in really creating more of an alignment and connection with between parents and teachers? Oh, my gosh. Okay, I love that question. Because it is a universal truth. All right. So I want to tell every, you know, parent that is listening, they're like, I don't know how to do this. Yes, you do. If you know how to get the heart of anybody, you can do this exceptionally well. The people who need it the most are the hardest to give it to. So if you have felt like, you know, ostracized by a school, if you have felt like your supportive community or your even your own family members are like, oh, my gosh, don't bring your kid here because he's too loud or she's too saucy or like whatever the deal is. The root of all this is empathy. And when I can seek first to understand before being understood, Stephen Covey monetized that. But it's it's this idea of how do you lean into the people that are going to hold our babies every day? Now, now I'm not going to say this is easy, right? Because it, I don't condone, support, believe when kids are not treated well. I mean, I mean that's a platform. I'm, I'm, I'm not okay with that. There's t- take charge moments, right? It's not if we're going to have hard conversations. It's how. 
And when I step in first and I open a conversation, at least of like, I just got to tell you, I bet this job isn't easy. I want to know more about what this year has been like for you right here. Here's the, here's the three things that allow me to acknowledge when I have to have a hard conversation, right? It's always like, how do I collect first? How do I sort of open with, here's what I'm thankful for. When I have a teacher, an educator, a parent call me who's, who's losing their mind or is emotionally dysregulated. I mean, when I talk a lot about this in the book, the heart of everything I talk about comes down to this. It's emotional regulation. When you and I are emotionally regulated, Debbie, we make, we, we are phenomenal parents. We are phenomenal partners. We are phenomenal leaders when we're emotionally regulated. When we are not, when we are emotionally dysregulated, losing our friggin' minds, we struggle to be effective parents, effective leaders, effective partners, all of those things. We are at our mm-hmm. best when we're emotionally regulated. And we can't do that typically in isolation. In fact, when you bring a baby home from the hospital, how do they let you know what they need? They lose their friggin' minds. Yeah, they cry. That's their job. Their job is to get emotionally dysregulated. The job of big people is to walk them home again and again and again, because you cannot tell somebody how to regulate emotion. You have to show them. And we, we make this mistake all the time. We tell people to calm down, relax. <laughs> I mean, last time your partner said that to you, oh, Debbie, relax. Oh, that doesn't happen anymore in my house. Yeah. Right, well, okay. <laughs> Let's take it back someday when it did. And I mean, we don't respond kindly to that, mm-hmm. you know? Because we don't want to be told how to regulate emotion because we don't have the skills in that moment to do it. We need to be shown. And when, when our babies are infants, we're very good at this, right? We do a lot of, okay, okay. Mm, mm. We are showing them how to regulate emotion. Their job is emotionally dysregulated. Our job is to walk them home. And when we are working in community with people to try to get the meet, the needs of our children met so much of this job is exactly the same. How do we collect and build community? How do we acknowledge the hard work of our educators and our foster parents and our community organizations? I'm just so grateful that she gets to come to camp today. I'm just so grateful that, you know, you're here. She loves this. I often do this as a parent. I'm often playing matchmaker, often getting the heart of the educator for my babe, you know, like, you know, together we bake this thing. We just thought this would be helpful for you. We know how hard you're working. She was so excited to come today. She told me you did this yesterday in class. I'm so glad you keep our, I mean, how do you keep 16 year olds engaged? Mrs. S you are crushing life. And I can't tell you how many times this year I've sent emails to my kids, teachers. Um, I've dropped off wine. I've dropped off, you know, various things just to say like, I, I see ya. I see ya. And, um, there's a hockey coach that I love. He says this, I can get a kid to skate through walls for me when I know the name of his dog. Do you understand that is the most profound statement I've ever heard? I can get a kid to skate through walls for me when I know the name of his dog. The same principles apply to the educators who are caring for our babies every single day. When you see them, acknowledge them, they will rise. Love it. Yeah, and I and I also love these reminders to to reach out and, and connect with educators. I often talk about our role as parents is to compassionately educate the people in our lives who may not understand who our kids are. Um, we are in the best position to do that. I feel like we have the most at stake as their parents, but it has to come from a place of compassion or it's not going to be heard. So I love that you're encouraging educators to really see our kids and their onus is on us as parents to see our the educators and these adults who spend so much time with our kids. There's a quote that I had pulled out about this idea of 
emotional regulation too. You say, here's why relationship matters most. You can teach them strategies, but you cannot teach them how to regulate emotion unless you show them, unless you guide them through that process. Here's the other kicker. Kids can only learn how to regulate when they become dysregulated, right? So that's where all the learning and growth happens for all of us, right? Oh my gosh. And and I think that's the part, like when you or I have somebody who can walk us home through a hard thing, if you've ever been involved in a school or a relationship with anybody where you're advocating for your kid and you have a leader at the helm, a teacher, a principal that says to you, Debbie, come on in. I want to know everything I need to know about Asher. Can I get you a coffee? Right. We are so grateful that Asher's part of our, you know how cool that kid is. You know, what I really love about him. And then you're like, okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> because then you're like, I will. I mean, when people do that for me about my kids, I'm like, what, what can I donate? Like, do you need a whiteboard? Yeah. Like I'm bringing in meat trays. <laughs> I am. I'm all in. Right. And this, we know this to be true, but we have to be reminded of that when we feel like nobody sees us or hears us and we turn it up louder and louder and louder. Not unlike our kids. Right. We know when we don't listen to our kids and they say, mom, mom, we're like, just a second. I'm on the phone, mom, mom. And you're like, okay, let's, Listen, I need five minutes. And what happens? Do they regulate? No, you turn around and they throw punch their brother because Mm -hmm. they will turn Mm -hmm. their needs up louder. They'll get more emotionally dysregulated until they get their needs met. And what I really want us to understand is that so many of our resources are tapped. Not not only are we in the middle of a global pandemic, right? We thought 2020 was hard. I mean, I I really hate to say this, but we're going to need to be even braver in 2021 because we've been in a stress response cycle for almost a year. And even when the vaccine comes, even when the numbers start to decrease, we, st- we remove the stressor, but we have not removed the stress response. So we're going to have to be very, very, very gentle with each other for mm-hmm. a long time, including mm-hmm. our babies. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. everybody's chippy. Yeah. You know chippy. Do you say chippy in New York? We do not, okay. but I can, you don't understand. So it's like when this is a good example in hockey, Kate. So like when I'm on the bench and somebody goes out and we're like, we're here to have a good time. And some other buddy's defenseman cross checks my defenseman and they come back to the bench and they say, Whoo, it's getting chippy out there. Got it. Here's the problem with chippy. We don't say like, Oh, let's just go out and love on them. Obviously they're having a bad day. No chippy's contagious. You come back. You're like, which number was it? Oh, don't you hurt my, I'll get, I'm going to take his teeth out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So here's the issue. When we are faced by a globe who is currently chippy, there is a lot of emotional dysregulation as a globe. Yeah. That very few people have anything left in the tank right now. Yeah. Which is going to require a collective effort, a community effort to remember we're just here walking each other home. Mm-hmm. Come on, mama. Mm-hmm. Right? We need you. The best, whether you got a bra on or not, doesn't matter. We'll take you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? You don't got to show yeah. perfect. We just need to show up. Yeah. And I, I totally agree with you. It's something I've been thinking a lot about and, and have talked to some other guests about this idea of the reentry to quote unquote normal or back to whatever um, is not going to be smooth. I, I think so many of us were kind of waiting, right? Or, or have been just anticipating this switch going back to the way things were, but it is going to be slow and painful, I think, to get our nervous systems calmed down, to re-regulate on a global level. It's such a good reminder. Totally, right? Totally. And I think, you know, that that's the issue is that we desperately want to get back to normal, but I don't think normal was good enough. Yeah, like, totally. Let's, let's make it better. 
what an opportunity, right? To be able to then, how do, and this is nobody else's fault. This is nobody else's problem to solve except yours, except mine. Like the, the government, the administrators, the, your boss, all of those things. Let's lead from the bench, right? Let's lead from the bench. How do we show our kids? Cause they're watching Ash, your Asher's watching my Asher's watching. How do we, do I wave at my neighbors on the way to school every morning? When, um, I'm approached by a homeless man, how do I respond to that guy? You can't tell your kids how to be anti-racist. You got to show them. How do we lead from the bench becomes really critical. I think right now. I want to pivot and just talk about a couple of things in your book that jumped out at me. One of the things you talk about are the way that labels and diagnoses are kind of relied upon in schools to provide context, but that they often just miss the story. Can you talk about, I mean, there, that is really everyone, especially in the States, the diagnosis is so important, right? To get support, to get the education plan. But where does that get our kids and our educators in trouble? Yeah, I love that question because I think, you know, there's a necessity to being able to streamline this process, right? Like, so what does it mean when somebody has ADHD? What does it mean when somebody is diagnosed with oppositional defiant disorder? What does it mean when, you know, and I think there's a standard of practice, which in my profession, we call it the DSM um, or the ICD, which is sort of the, the Bible of diagnostic labels. And it provides a universal language that we can understand where somebody is coming from. It, it provides a standard of practice. You know, when we think about a policy or procedure, you know, place when we're going to provide funding, if you're coded in this way or if you receive this diagnosis, it's helpful in some ways. I think it's super harmful, however, when we just don't understand what a label means and we just use that to say, oh, you know, he's got the ADHD or he's got the autism, or he's got the thing that means he will not be able to achieve. And what it loses, I think, for so much of us is then just our capacity to see the story, right? As I said, you know, like, when you can tell me what level he's on in Pokemon, and what his middle name is, I can guarantee you that you will have somebody who will be much more engaged in the learning process will be much more engaged. I mean, it's like, whenever you hear people say like, Oh, my God, they're so much better with grandma. Because we're, here's the truth. We are so much better with other people's children. You want to know why? Because we're more regulated. So I can have a lot of other kids. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, Debbie, but like when, like as a coach, um, I will have kids come up to me all the time. Uh, Coach Jody. What sweetheart. Can I have some water? Yes, babe. Coach Jody. Yeah. Can you tell my skate? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then my own personal child, you know, who I'm there to frolic with and make memories with will say to me, Hey mom, what? (laughs) Right. Because I have so much skin in the game with my personal kids and truth be told, the opposite is true. People, your kids should be the worst when they're with you because they're getting emotionally dysregulated. And so where they're going to learn that the most is the people who can walk them home or with is the people who can walk them home. So um, parents often say this to me, particularly when their kids, uh, you know, struggle, um, if, if we consider them typical or not, when they're like, oh my gosh, like everybody will say this to me. Oh, he's such a sweetheart. Like he just does so well. And you're like, are you friggin' kidding me? <laughs> and then parents start to doubt themselves. They're like, why is he so awful with me? Like, it must be me. He needs a different parent. I should really like, I'm the problem. No, 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 no. You are doing it beautifully. 
because I want his biggest, safest place to get emotionally dysregulated to be with the people who spend the most time with him. The more comfortable they get with an EA, an educator, a support person, they should get more and more emotionally dysregulated. That's normal because you learn how to get regulated by getting dysregulated first. And there's got to be a comfort level, right? It's like when you can hold it together with people, like you just know certain people you can't lose your freaking mind with. And then other people you're like, I don't care if I got a bra on and like, I'm going to, you know, you're going to be able to handle those things. It's because we know that we can engage in that back and forth. Does that, I don't think I answered your mm-hmm. question there. I just did my own TED talk. I, I think you answered it, but I, and I like where you went with it. And yeah, that was great. And it's so true. It's so true. And, you know, we hear this all the time, right? That we want to be a safe place for our kids' biggest feelings. But I, I like the way that you framed that. And it is an opportunity, right? Every time they become dysregulated with us, it's an opportunity to, to practice emotional regulation for us and for them. Totally. Yeah. We'll be right back after this quick break. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. So you have a section in your book, Is It Ever Too Late? And you address the challenges of older kids who may have experienced trauma or you know, had really tricky conduct, the kids who have been labeled bad, which I know many of my listeners are thinking that's my kid. And maybe those kids have risen to the occasion, as you say. So I'm wondering, how do you help an educator? Like, what does that look like when you're talking to teachers to help them reframe their thinking around these kids who might come into their classroom with bad reps? Yeah, so you don't start by teaching them. You start by collecting them. And this is going to be exhausted. Like I can already hear and see the drop shoulders of people like listening, going like, Who, what is she even talking about? You want me to be nice to the people that are not nice to my children? Yep, I do. Not for them, but for you. 
And is there take charge moments? Absolutely. Are there things where it's unacceptable and you need to go, you know, hire in an institution to be able to say, hey, 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 I, we need to take a look at how, you know, this child or my child's being treated? Absolutely. There's moments. There's take charge moments. But what I think we often forget is the necessity to step in, the necessity to ask questions first. How is my kid showing up in class? What is the hardest part? I mean, I often say I... He asks a lot of questions, my dude. I mean, I know he does, right? When when the virus first came out, I mean, like multiple conversations about like, okay, so if there's a plane that flies over and if it falls, like what if the virus like leaks out the plane and then comes into the ventilation system of the school over the plane that the, the went over my, like, is it possible that we could get that? So I might open with like, so how's the questions been going from Asher? Mm-hmm. He's got a lot of them. Eh? And I, I, if I hear them say like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I bet sometimes it's exhausting. Well, yes. <laughs> and, and then that's a common ground, right? And I'm like, I, I, I bet it is. I mean, I got to tell you as his mom, I, I'm so grateful that you get to answer some of those questions someday, uh, some of these days, because I'm pretty tired some days. I bet you get that way too. And here, here's what I got to tell you about him. You know, this, this anxiety drives him pretty solid and he's, he's quite concerned. I'm going to die. He's quite concerned. His dad's going to die. And that kind of consumes his thoughts. And I'm wondering a little bit about, like, do you have any questions about that? Is there any way I can help in that way? Right? And I'm still going to get there, but I really want to be able to just, like, align in some way just to acknowledge the fact that, I mean, I bet it, my, I bet my kid's exhausting. I, I, I bet it doesn't make him any less great. doesn't mean that I love him any less. It means, like, I want to acknowledge the fact that here's the story. Here's how we got here. And I mean, he was just so grateful last week, you know, he came home and he told me about this game that he got to be the leader on. And I I don't know if you know this, but like he came home with a smile on his face and I haven't seen that Mm -hmm. for many years. Right. Then just like you and me, you know, when people give us a compliment where we want to make out with them or at least me, um, (laughs) then the same response happens. Right. And the next day when Asher walks into school, they see him a little bit differently. It's like when I tell the story about a, like a bus driver, I often, I think I told this story in the book, but when, like I say to a bus driver, for example, who's going to pick up a kid who's been kicked out of six different schools before he gets to this guy, right? And I'm like, okay, I Stan, I need to talk to you for a little bit, okay? This guy's eight, and uh, I hear he can, like, shoot a spitball, like, three football fields. That's what I hear. <laughs> and uh, I, I need to tell you that, you know, he's been kicked out of three different schools. And so you can imagine this conversation goes one in two ways. We could be like, OK, so we got to be ready for him. OK, you understand? I want a police officer waiting at the bus. I want if he if he so much is look sideways, you give him a he's on a three strike rule. We are going to get this. Kid. OK, you can imagine stands fired up. Kid comes in. He's got his hoodie up. That's a rule. You can't have your hoodie up. So the first interaction that Stan has with this kid is, hey hoodie down. Okay. You can imagine, right? He's already fired up. When I say to Stan, I got to tell you this, this guy's 10. He's been in three different foster homes in two years. He's got an anxiety disorder and he's experienced physical abuse on multiple occasions by, uh, two different foster parents. And he's sad and he's scared. And I don't think he's had a male figure in his life who he could respect. I just wanted to give you that heads up when he steps on the bus tomorrow, can you, I mean, Stan, you've been doing this with us for 25 years, but I, I just, here's what I'd love. I'd love to get, I'd love to keep this kid here till June. Do you think you can help me with that? Stan, you understand is a grandfather. He's got six grandkids of his own. And he said, what, what do you mean? This guy's never had a dad. 
No, sir. And I mean, I, I don't expect you to be one, Stan, but I, I also got to tell you this. He's he's a huge fan of the Steelers, and I know you are too. I just wanted you know to tell you that because he often wears that Steelers hoodie, and he keeps his hoodie up around his ears all day long because he's, he's, he's pissed off at the world. He's like, oh, I bet he is. That's what Stan says, yeah? So the next day, he picks this kid up. He's got a Steelers hoodie up. He's mad at the world. And sa- Stan says, first thing out of his mouth is, oh, yeah, did you see the game last night? And Steelers, I'm telling you, they're making a comeback, son. What happens to this kid? First of all, he doesn't trust it. He's looking at Stan like he's drunk. And then he's like, <laughs> right? Because that's not his expectation, right? But when you are acknowledged, you will rise. And this kid might still push it. But now Stan's got enough in the tank to know why. So he can sit with them. So it's this capacity of building an understanding of the people who serve kids with the most difficult stories so that it takes a village. Because Stan's going to get exhausted. Stan's going to get tired. When we have kids that continually get emotionally dysregulated and push the boundaries, you it is not. we make a huge mistake, right, of putting that on the responsibility of one person, one EA, one support person, one whatever. Build a village. I've created a, a training program actually for mental health professionals in K to 12 education, where it's a module, like a 12 module program that we're going to launch uh, in March. And it really is because there's no standard of practice for mental health training in K to 12 education. Depending on the school division that you ascribe to, you get somebody completely different with a different whatever. And if it's not relationship focused and trauma informed, we will try to behaviorally modify a kid out of their bad choices. And you cannot do that. Jody, that story is so powerful. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, it's just illustrates so beautifully what a difference a connection can make and that it doesn't have to be hard. It it does require, it requires someone to show up, to show up for that child, to see them beyond their behavior. And um, wow, thank you so much for, for sharing that. And you do talk a lot about trauma in the book as well, which I, I think is so important. Um, there's so much I want to talk with you about, but um, I also want to be mindful of the time. And one of the things I just wanted to ask you before we wrap up is you remind teachers to remember their power with the parents of the kids they teach. Can you say more about that? Yeah. Again, I think it's a little bit like, you know, what we talked about earlier was is just really that idea of don't ever underestimate a phone call home. And I think sometimes, you know, when we have to make a call home as an educator, it's because we want to say, okay, so Asher was late today, or okay, I have to tell you what happened on the playground today. I heard Asher telling something like, and every time still to me, when the, when I see the school's number comes up, I mean, I, I, right. Like obviously somebody's dead or somebody's done something bad. I mean, we we go into that place, maybe not we, but I do of like, oh God, oh God, what's wrong. And what happens when you get that five second phone call? And I often say this to teachers, you know, I mean, when I've worked with dads who have had their kids apprehended or moms who've had their kids apprehended. And some of my favorite things are like, you know, when I have to do these silly supervised visits, I would step into that with like, I can't wait to see your baby light up when they see you. Right. How do we sort of do that matchmaker thing? How do you never, ever underestimate your power just to call home that dad that, you know, drops his kids off three blocks from the school and he's never invested and he hates everything. He's written letters to your uh, government officials and this school's a piece of whatever. And what is it like to call him if I'll answer the phone and be like, hey, Earl, this is, uh, you know, this is Mrs. S. Oh, I know who you are. I just wanted to tell you, um, Asher was amazing today. What? <laughs> well, and then what else? 
That nothing, dude. He is the funniest kid. I just feel really lucky that I get to spend time with your boy. I just, I just wanted you to know that. He might, does he get a sense of humor from you? And you could see this guy, right? He'd be like, "What the? Uh, yeah, like, <laughs> I am kind of funny. I bet you are." I just. I, I just wanted to say thanks, and I wanted you to, to tell you he had a good day. Hang up the phone. How does this dad greet his kid? He lights huh? up. Exactly. So this kid comes up, th- and he's like, hey! and this kid is like, what is happening? People, the bus driver was nice. My dad is drunk. <laughs> like, what is going And that's exactly how we walk kids home. We build a village because there's going to be some days where his dad is exhausted, where the teacher is like, get to the inappropriate, right? So we need a village to be able to make up for the fact because as parents, if we get this right 30% of the time, they'll be okay. There's mm. data. So, so good. I love that. The the light up. That's something I consciously practice every day. I'm not picking my kid up from school at the moment. I'm trying to unlock a store from the outside to peek in in between classes, but still um, <laughs> love that. And I also just to circle back to something you talked about before. Thank you also for the reminder of how to talk to our kids teachers. I think, you know, I I have great relationships with my son's teachers now. And I still and even hearing what you shared, realizing that I'm sharing information, and I'm not checking in as much as I'd like to. So just asking those questions, so that they feel really seen right before I start sharing what's challenging or what I'm noticing with with my child. So thank you for that reminder. I just have one last question. Um, you have a whole section in the book with strategies to keep teachers lit for the whole year. You wrote this book pre-COVID. I'm just wondering, um, what can we as parents um, do to support our teachers and feeling lit up at a time when they are most likely feeling really burned out? Yeah, I love that question. And it's, it's, I mean, we can in insert, uh, you know, what we do for our teachers, our, each other, what we do for our, you know, our parent groups, like any of these things apply. And it really is about just not only looking, but seeing, right? Truly noticing, waving, giving, writing the email, sending a video message, sending a voice message, really being in that place of like, even in this hard time, like I, I miss your face. I wish we were in the same room. I like slowing down long enough, I think is the number one trick. And then the other deal is, is I really want us to make sure we're looking after each other. Okay. Because if we're not okay, our kids don't stand a chance. And part of the, the, the quickest way for me through that or to that every single day is to find the joy as a psychologist. People come to me all the time and they say, you know, I just, I'm just not happy. I just want to be happy. And that is so dumb. Because I really don't know anybody who's happy. Mm-hmm. It's a stupid thing that we all like sort of aspire to. And we think everybody on the Instagram is happy. Nobody's happy. Like, have you ever met anybody who's like, oh, I am such a great parent. I'm just like, my kids are so lucky and I just love my body, you know, like these 40 extra pounds that I have on my back end here. So, oh, it's so good. I just love my body. And I'm such a good wife. Like, oh. My marriage, like I just chose the right partner. You know what I mean? Like so good. Nobody's happy all the time. But our biggest job every day is to seek the moments of joy. When is the last time you belly laughed with your babies? When is the last time you danced in your kitchen? When is the last time that you grabbed, you know, your partner, even if you co-parent with somebody and sent them a, a text message and said, here's what I love about you. Or this is amazing about like, do you want to change the trajectory of a relationship? You look and you see. 
So good. Thank you. Thank you. And um, listeners, I just have to say that Jody's book, Kids These Days, captures Jody's energy that she shared with us today. And it's very accessible. You feel like you're sitting down having a coffee. Um, and that's something I just loved. The writing style was so warm and relatable. So um, listeners, I really encourage you to check this book out. I loved it. I didn't know what to expect um, when I opened it, especially because it is written for caregivers and parents, but it's primarily for educators. But I got so much out of it. So um, for listeners who want to engage with you more, learn more about your work, where should they go? Yeah, we're all over social. I'm on Instagram at Dr. Jody Carrington, uh, and our website is drjodycarrington.com. And uh, I jump on a live every morning, Monday to Friday at 7.30-ish Mountain Standard Time, so it's a little later for you. Um, yeah, we would just love you part of our community. We call ourselves Reconnection Revolutionaries, and uh, it's the finest group of people, I'm sure very similar to your community. So we'd love to have you. Thank you. Thank you so much again for taking time to chat with us today and share all of this and the good stories and just the inspiration. So appreciate it. Yes. So great to meet you, Debbie. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. For the show notes for this episode, visit tiltparenting.com slash podcast and search for this conversation. If you like what you heard on today's episode, I would be grateful if you could take a minute to head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or a review. Thank you so much for helping us stay visible so people who would benefit from the show can easily find it. If you want to support the show and help me cover the cost of production, please consider joining my Patreon campaign. To support the show, just visit patreon.com slash Tilt Parenting. Lastly, if you aren't already part of the online community at Tilt, I invite you to sign up at tiltparenting.com on the box in the bottom where it says join the revolution. Every Thursday, I send out a short email with a quick note from me, a link to that week's podcast episode, and links to five stories from the news that week that are relevant to parents like us. Again, you can sign up and learn more about Tilt at www.tiltparenting.com. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.